us at Prairie View. Uh, I so love my job. <laughs> I love worshiping. I love playing music and, and uh, to do it with a, a body of believers who you know when they're worshiping that it's more than just Christian karaoke on the screen behind me, that you guys are really, these are the prayers of our hearts that are being sung this morning. And, and to, to be able to sing with you and to worship with you is truly, truly um, a gift. Uh, it's, worship is a gift to all of us, and, and I believe that it just speaks to us and, and emotes on such a, a deep level. It's an awesome thing, but that has nothing to do with the sermon this morning, so I better stop preaching about it. Um, <clears throat> this morning, actually, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there, um, but we do. We've got a lot of ground to cover this morning, so I want to get right into it. We're going to be actually starting in verse 6 of Colossians 2, and we're going to finish up the whole chapter today. We're going all the way from 6 to 23, uh, so um, there's, there's frankly more, there's more in here, there's more depth in this section of scripture than we're really going to have time to, to, uh, to spend this morning. We're going to have to hit the, the, the kind of the highlights of a lot of it, and so I would encourage you, church, to take, the, take your Bibles out during the week. Don't let today be the only time that you spend with God in God's word uh, this week. You know, please get your Bibles out, get into Colossians chapter 2. You can read the whole book of Colossians in about uh, half an hour or less. And, and chapter 2, um, many theologians feel that chapter 2, and actually verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2, are really the hinge of the entire book of Colossians. So we're going to hit on that today and we're really going to focus on it. The two things that I want to make sure that we cover this morning are, of course, our new life in Christ. When we receive Christ... We're given a new life. We are made a new creation. And, and a lot of times, we lose sight of that. The second point that I want to touch on is uh, we have freedom in Christ. Okay? And he who is free in Christ is free indeed. Uh, we have this, this habit as Christians. And I know I've been guilty of it myself. We, we'll, we'll, we'll get saved, as we like to We will realize our position in Christ. We'll realize that the... the, the the gravity and the depth of what Jesus Christ did for us. We accept that. We receive that. And then I would go along in my Christian walk as a new Christian. And I'd smack my thumb with a hammer. Something would happen. And I would cuss. I'd curse. I'd do something. And I'd be like, oh my word, I just lost my salvation. i got to get saved again. And so I'd get saved again. And then I'd go along for a while and something would happen again. And I'd... Something, I, it doesn't matter. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know people, maybe you are one of those people like me. I, I've been known to get saved two or three times on a Sunday. You know? And on any other day of the week. And what's happening is we, we get into this cycle. We get into this cycle when we feel like we're failing God. Like there's something we're not living up to. The, the, something that the church or the world expects from us, or that God expects from us, that if we don't make that standard, then we're going to get cut from the team. And I want us to, to really understand that that's not how it should work. Paul is trying to tell the Colossians in this letter that their salvation, your salvation, has nothing to do with anything that you can do or that you have done or will do. So just relax. Stop striving to please God, okay? He likes you. He, you're good with him. He loves you. God is love. So don't let 
the world and the systems of the world and the science and the philosophies of the world drag you down. See, Jesus has overcome the world. And if you are in Christ, you have overcome the world with him. Amen? Right. So if Jesus, there's nothing that you need to do. There's nothing you can do. Okay? And there have always been people in the world who want to try to add something to that. They want to try to add something to this great news, this gospel of Jesus Christ that our sins have been atoned for. They wanted to tell you that there's something else you need. There's something, some knowledge, some special revelation that you need in order to be saved, in order to gain salvation. And it's just not so. And so we're going to look into, uh, we're going to get into our text this morning. I hope you have your Bible with you. We're again in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, but let's pray before we get started. Father, thank you again for your word to us. I pray today, God, that you would speak into our hearts, that you would grant us understanding of your word, that you would bless this time and bless every heart today, God, that is moved by the sound of your voice here or in churches around the world that are gathering together under the banner of Christ as the body of believers. God, we just pray that you would help us to continue in this faith that you have given us in a way that would honor you and would bring glory to your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. All the way to verse 23. So hold on. Okay. Now. Verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh okay 
Verse 6. Back to verse 6. Let's look at this. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Everybody got that? Good. We can get out of here. Let's pray. I'm, seriously, it's almost that simple. This is kind of one of those statements in the Bible where at first glance you're like, duh. Right? Walk in Christ. I got that. Okay. Why is Paul even bothering to put this in here? I mean, he's writing to believers in Colossae. One of the purposes of the, letter to, of the letter to the Colossians was he was speaking out against something called Gnosticism, early Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is a fancy $5 word, but the idea behind it is it basically means Gnosticism is the belief that there is some special knowledge Gnostic is where we get our word knowledge. Some special knowledge that a person has to possess or have in addition to the gospel in order to be truly saved. And I I read that and I'm like, how could anybody believe that? I mean, Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. He said said we're complete in him. there's, There's no way that people today would buy into this because, I mean, we have Google Right? We, we, have, we have terabytes of information available to us with a single mouse click. We could verify this truth. We could, we could look at this and really get into this, and we wouldn't be deceived today. I mean, you might have been able to, you might have been able to fool a neighborhood or a village or even maybe a small city back then, but not, not us, not today. Right? Wrong. I know, right? You knew I was going somewhere with that. You can do more damage, I believe, today than you ever could have in Jesus' day. Because, yeah, you could have deceived a neighborhood or a village or a small town or a city back then. Today, with a single mouse click, I can send a lie global. And it's been said, if you tell a lie big enough and often enough, people will start to believe it. You can deceive the whole world from the comfort of your living room with, with your iPhone, if you really, really try. And so, that is still going on. This idea that there's something else you need is still happening today, maybe more than ever. Okay? Maybe, there's, maybe there were some secret teachings of Jesus that he only shared with certain disciples. And if you don't know this, then the real key is in there. And you need this. Maybe Jesus had some secret relationship that the rest of the world didn't know about. Maybe it was with Mary Magdalene. You remember? Remember that movie? The Da Vinci Code? Great movie. Good book. Totally fiction. Even the author said it was a work of fiction. But how many people acted like a whole new testament of the Bible had been written that year? It was huge. It was crazy. It was uproarious what was going on. So that's what Gnosticism is. It, it's, it's like in the movie The Matrix. When you've got a handful of people that are awake and aware of the truth... And everybody else is just asleep or blindly going through their life. There's a few individuals with the truth. The rest of us either have been uh, blinded by either maybe, it, maybe it's the government, maybe it's the church, maybe it's society, maybe it's the evil computer program. But for whatever reason, we just can't see it. So that's the same thing that actually Paul was up against. People saying that. And so he writes to the Colossians, As you have received Christ, so walk in him and only him. You believed in Jesus, now stick with it. Hang in there. Keep believing in him. It's that simple. Okay, the other reason I wanted to focus a little bit on this very first, very first verse of our text here, verse 6, I think it's important to understand the word used 
uh, in the original language for the word that we have for receive. When you read the word receive, as you have received Christ, it doesn't mean that you've just accepted. Okay? The word is, is a word that's taken from Judaism, and it describes the transmitting and safeguarding of traditions and teachings from one person or generation to another. It encompasses so much more than, yes, I invite Lord Jesus into my heart. It is, you said yes and amen to a whole new life. You changed who and what you are in this world. You forsook yourself and took Christ upon you. And, and you, you made a proclamation. You, you made a confession of faith. You have status as the member of the body of Christ. You, you two, that's all of that. All of those traditions and, and things that we hold so dear that we call Christianity. All of that is contained in one word, receive. It's an entire cultural mindset, life-changing experience that is being passed down. And it affects your, your whole reality. It's a whole new reality. So remember that when you see the word receive... In your text, that's what they're talking about. It's not just, yeah, I said a prayer one day. It's much more. Verse 7 says, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Next word study, established. Okay? That word, it's, it's a legal term. It's, it means ongoing. Okay? The, the word for established in the original language was always in the present tense. Okay? So you never cease being established. You are constantly being established and established and established. It's never like, oh, I've arrived. I am a Christian now. There's nothing, there's nothing left. No. God is constantly working in you and establishing you in your faith. Okay, so it, it's always in the present tense. So what is he saying to the Colossians? He's, he's saying, I want you to continue to be rooted and grounded and built up in your faith. Why? So that you can recognize these false teachings. You can recognize the lie. You can recognize the Gnosticism and, and the asceticism that was going on in those days. And because of that faith, because you are being established and, and God is growing your faith more and more and your roots are going deeper and deeper then we have much to be thankful for. So we abound in his faith that he pours into us. And through that we're established. And because of that, we, have, we, we give thanks. Does that make sense, everybody? Everybody with me so far? Verse 8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. <clears throat> The first word of that verse is beware. That's a warning. You know, beware is not just a matter of be aware. Like, I'm, like, you don't see signs that say be aware of dog. Unless it's a really small dog. And then it's like, be aware so you don't step on it. But you see signs that say beware of dog because it'll eat you. Okay, so that's, that's the idea. Beware. Pay attention to what's going on uh, around you. Don't let the world and its philosophy and its science and its systems rob you of this abundant life that Jesus has to offer. Don't be, don't be made a slave by other things uh, that the world offers you. Okay, the, the idea here, the word here that they use for cheat, okay, your translation might say taken captive. Beware lest anyone take you be, be, be taken captive. It, it also means, in the original languages, it also means to kidnap. 
It means to strip and rob. And it also means to be carried off as prey. None of those are things that we want. Those are all bad things, in case you were wondering. Okay? We don't want that. So Paul is saying, stay away from anything that doesn't depend completely, that doesn't depend completely on Jesus Christ as its foundation. Beware of those things. Anything built on philosophy or science or astrology, the, the basic principles of the world, that's what they called science back then. Measurable things that you could touch and hold in your hand. You could, you could define it. You can't depend on those things. The, 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 it, if it doesn't depend on God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, it's worthless. It's junk. It will not save you. It will not hold you up. It will not. And Jesus said he is the way, the truth, the life. More um, accurately, to translate that, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way, truth, and life. There's nothing else. Jesus alone. Even, even if the person telling you that there's something else is really nice, it's a lie. Everything else is a lie. Even if the person telling you the lie believes it themselves, it's still a lie. Even if they're dressed in a really nice suit and, and they look like a, just a great upstanding member of society and, and they've got everything that you need for salvation right there in their backpack and their bicycle's really clean. It doesn't matter. Okay? It's a lie. I'm sorry. It's a hard truth to tell those people sometimes. But it just won't save you. If you could do something to save yourself, guys, Christ died in vain. If there was anything you could do, and anything that says otherwise, anything that any other gospel that someone tells you that I'm, that's different from what I just said, that's not centered on, on Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, it's a lie. And Paul is telling us here, grow deep roots in your faith. Get to know this God so that you can recognize it when you see it. You can recognize the lie and you're not stripped and robbed of of your salvation. You're not stripped and robbed of this Jesus that we know. You're not carried off by this lie as its prey. There's no man-made religion or science or philosophy that leads us to the truth. There is no special system that will save us apart from God's plan of salvation. How do we know? I'm glad you asked. Verse 9 For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Okay, remember I told you, verses 9 and 10, some some theologians say that those two verses are the hinge that the whole book of Colossians hangs on. They're the whole point. So if you don't get anything else from this whole series that we're doing on Colossians, get this, get these two verses. What they're saying is simply that there's nothing else out there that we need to know. You are complete. Your knowledge is complete. Everything you need to know to be saved is complete through Jesus Christ. You know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know that you're saved through him and that no one comes to the Father but by the Son. That's it, guys. Stop looking around for other stuff. There's nothing else. And, and I don't know how... We got so messed up in the last 2,000 years, but somehow some of us did. And, and they just need to understand, Jesus is enough. 
He's more than enough for us, like the song says. Now, we're gonna, I'm going I'm to read through you, uh, for you verses 9 through 13. Okay? There's a lot more in this section of Scripture than we have time to get into today. I'm trying to get through this. But 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 are special, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You notice something? You notice a recurring theme? The words... In him, or depend, if you, your translation might say in Christ, or with him, or with Christ, are in five verses, five times. Two sentences. Two sentences, those phrases, in him and with him, are in there five times. Now, if, if God says something to me five times in two sentences, I'm thinking I might want to pay attention. And what's he saying? See, you've got to remember, Paul is fighting against the idea that some people, some teachers were bringing out that Jesus was a separate entity from God. And they were saying that to say, well, God cannot abide sin and humans are sinful creatures and Jesus was a human, therefore God must have been separate from Jesus. That's what they were teaching. Okay? And you guys understand that's wrong? (laughs) Okay? Just want to make sure because we're recording. So let me go on record. That's what he was preaching against. He uses this section of scripture to show us that Jesus held all the fullness of the Godhead bodily within himself. All right? He is driving home the point that Christ is the center of God's act of saving mankind. Okay? And it's permanent. God is saying there's, there's nothing else. You're complete in Jesus. Again, Jesus holds within himself all the deity of the Godhead continually continually as a human being he's saying this in the strongest possible language it doesn't come across in the english but in the early translations man this is like one of those jump up and down waving your arms he is being very emphatic in the wording that he uses all right and so he's saying you're com- jesus is completely god and if you are in christ you are complete Okay, got everything you need to be able to discern a lie when you hear it, if you're in Christ and being led by the Spirit. Now, this next section, I know this is why you guys came today. We're going to, I've actually prepared a little video clip here to get us, to segue us into this next section that we're going to look at. And so, uh, if you would, Denise. Moyle. I don't believe I've ever heard of that profession. Moyle? He's a very important guy. He makes circumcisions. What, pray tell, sir, is a circumcision? Oh, it's the latest rage. The ladies love it. Oh, I want one. Oh, I'll take two. Hey, put me down two, man. I get one. I'm game. How's it done? Just snap. I take my little machine. I take your little thing. See? I put it into this little hole here. And nip the tip. Oh, wow. Who's fighting? 
Oh, I changed my mind. Oh, I forgot me. I already got one. Question. I got to work with a much younger crowd. Moya. Well, I don't right. believe I've ever heard of that. So, in case you haven't guessed, uh, we're going to be looking at circumcisions. And for those of you, I'll be a Gnostic here. For those of you who are really interested in pursuing your faith, we're actually going to be uh, doing some circumcisions after the service today. So, you know, guys, line up. Uh, we'll be having a special. We'll be half off. Well, let's, let's look at the section of Scripture. Verse 11 says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross." Now, what Paul is saying here, there were, there were people out there that in that day that were preaching that there was something you must do in addition to Christ's atonement on the cross, something you had to do to be saved, that Jesus alone was not enough. Circumcision originally was a sign of the Jewish nation's covenant with God, in case you didn't know. It was a little surgical procedure, and it identified a Jewish male as a follower of Yahweh. That was the point. Now, Christ died for all humanity, and, and that's what identifies us with Yahweh now. Okay? It's the circumcision made without hands. Now, because of Christ, all of humanity identifies with God. See, now, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, God himself, the grand physician, I mean, really, who would you want to be doing surgery on you more than God? The grand physician performs a spiritual operation on our hearts instead, not our flesh. Okay? And when I say flesh, that's, that's Christianese. That's the word that we use to sort of define a, a sin nature, the wrong behaviors that we were engaged in before we knew the truth, before we understood uh, who we were and, and that we needed to be behaving as a child of the king. Okay, that's fleshly behaviors. And it was, they're selfish and they're proud and, and they're prideful and they're spiritually dead. You were spiritually dead before Christ. That was, there was a fleshly barrier around my heart that sealed out the workings of God, that sealed out the Spirit from communicating with me on that level, and sealed out the love that God wants to pour into my heart. But Christ removed that barrier. That's the circumcision of our hearts that we're talking about. Circumcision, Paul tells us in Romans, is a matter of the heart, not the flesh. So Christ comes, he does a, a circumcision on my heart and clears that barrier, that fleshly barrier away. There's now there's nothing between me and God. Nothing between me and my Father. He, he also relates circumcision here with baptism. It's the same kind of idea. When you're baptized, it's symbolic. You, you are, you're, you're symbolically are die and you are buried in the water with Christ and you rise again with Christ, but you leave your fleshly nature, your sin nature, whatever you want to call it, behind you, buried and dead behind you. See, and that doesn't make you a, 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 you're a new creation, but guys, we still struggle, don't we? 
We come out of that water and we feel great for a while, but after sin tries to creep back in, those behaviors try to creep back into our lives. But now, now our heart, that fleshly barrier has been removed. God can speak to us a little clearer now. We can begin to hear his voice more clearly and feel his leading and his guiding in our lives more clearly now. And now we are empowered. We're empowered to live in freedom from sin. See, we're empowered. We understand that our chains have been broken and that we are not a slave to those behaviors anymore. Now we are free to respond to the world and our circumstances as Christ did. And he responded to the world and the circumstances around him. How? He responded in love and in mercy and in kindness, in grace. We can give ourselves uh, to people instead of just keeping it all for ourselves. We can, we can give this grace and this understanding and all of these, all these new behaviors, these new lifestyle of mercy and love and grace to other people, people that the world, people that the worldly system would turn its back on, would tell them that they're not worthy of that. See, as Christians, we can make better decisions than that. We can make decisions led by God. What would Jesus do? Right? Verse 14 says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The Bible tells us, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. See, because of your sin and my sin, we fail. And the law says that we must be punished. So each one of us, had a laundry list of offenses that we had made against God. And and not only do we have a laundry list of offenses, the reason we have the offenses, let me go back a little bit, is because of the law. There's a law that you can't keep. And there's a law that I can't keep. We cannot keep God's laws. That's why they're there, to show us that we can't do it, that we need a Savior, that we need this Jesus that, that we're talking about this morning. And and why? Because Jesus wiped out the handwriting of requirements, the law. We have all sinned and fallen short. Yes, that law was contrary to us. We couldn't keep it. And we needed it. We needed to fulfill the law in order to gain acceptance by by, by the Father. Jesus took your list and my list, and he nailed them to the cross. He paid the price. He, he met the requirements for you. Not only did he meet the requirements, he exceeded the requirements by more than twice. He more than, more than double paid for the offenses that you and I have, have uh, offended God with. To make sure that we would be where we were intended to be all along. Next to, next to the Father, standing by his side. There is nothing between you and the Father except the fear that you are somehow not worthy. The fear that you somehow need to meet a requirement, meet some sort of, of make the cut to be considered worthy of God's love. And Paul says all the requirements that you thought you needed to meet have been taken out of the way, nailed to the cross. So, so God says, come on home. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Come with me. 
Verse 15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What does that mean? Okay, the principalities and powers, there, there's a few, it could have been, could have been talking about demons, could have been talking about angels. There were, there were teachers that were trying to convince uh, the churches that they needed to worship angels. Uh, could have been talking about the Roman government, could have been talking about the gods of other nations. Could have been any or all of those things. Okay, the point is, any powers or principalities exist out there that are not God. Anything that we worship that is not God, anything that gets in the way of us moving toward God or pulls us away from God, that's what he's talking about. Principalities and powers that stand between us and the Father is what he's, is what he's referring to here. And anything, you know, people choose to worship these things because it's safe. But see, here's what happens. Jesus takes those things, takes those things, and he defeated them. Let me paint you a picture of it. Back in, the, in, the, in those days, when an enemy was defeated on the field of battle, two armies came together, and, they were, and one army triumphed over the other. The losing army would be stripped of its armor and its weapons, and then they would be paraded through the winning army's town without their, army, without their weapons and their, and their gear, and to be made a public spectacle of, for everybody to shout and laugh and ridicule or whatever else they did. So that's the idea here. Jesus triumphed over all these things. He took them captive and, and he made a public spectacle of them. He defeated them, stripped them. They have no defense against him and they have no weapons against you. And when we understand that, that you're free from those things that get between you and God, then you don't have to fight. You don't have to struggle because you already know who won. Read the end of the book. We win. Okay? And so, but there were, there, there's people in the world that want to convince you otherwise. Don't listen to it. Verse 16 says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Okay, lots of people in the world have been convinced by lots of other religious people or churches or institutions that if you don't worship on a certain day of the week, you're going to hell. Or if you do worship on a certain day of the week, you're going to hell. If you don't wear a certain kind of clothes, you're going to hell. If you do wear a certain kind of clothes, you're going to hell. There's no hope for any of us if these people are right. Okay? Let no one judge you according to those things. Listen, what Paul is speaking against here is the idea that there's, there's something that you have to do again. It's that simple. I mean, this whole sermon, I could have said this in like two minutes, huh? But no. How it got so screwed around... I don't know, but it seems really clear. Christ has taken the law out of the way for us. Nothing stands between us and the Father. If you want to eat, eat. If you want to fast, fast. If you want to dance, dance. If you don't want to dance, don't. You want to sing? Great. Don't? Okay. It doesn't matter. What matters is your motivation. Why are you doing or not doing the things 
that you're doing or not doing? What's the heart behind it? Are you doing it because it's just this overflow of love from your heart that, that God has put in there and you just can't help yourself? Or are you doing it out of some misplaced, misguided obligation that there's that you have to, that you're gonna that God's gonna deliver some kind of like cosmic whammy to you if you don't do these things or if you do? That's that's what he's saying. Let me put it to you this way. God is what? Love. God is perfect love. And perfect love casts out fear. So, if we are acting in fear, that's not God. You're worried about what God's going to think of you. Or you're worried about what the guy sitting next to you in church is going to think. Or your neighbor. Or somebody else. But you're not doing it because, you're not doing it in a heart of love. You're doing it in fear. C.S. Lewis said it really well. He said, it is hardly complimentary to God that we should choose him as an alternative to hell. He goes on to say, yet even this he accepts. I think that's so cool, you guys. Even when we get it wrong, God loves us. Isn't that awesome? Even when we get it wrong, even, even when we worship God and we're doing it with a heart of fear, God still loves us, but it's us that's being cheated. We're cheating ourselves when we do that. You see? You buy into the lie of thinking that you've got to charm God. You've got to earn God's love by the things you do or don't do. You're being cheated out of a reward that you could be enjoying here on earth. I don't understand how someone could teach other people that there's something else you've got to do to be saved. And the only... The only logical conclusion for how they can teach this is they're not connected. They're not connected with God themselves. And what, what do you know? Paul tells us that here in verse 20. Or I'm sorry, uh, verse 19. Not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. They're saying the people that are cheating you out of this reward, the people that are telling you these things, they're not hooked up. They're not hooked up. The Greeks believed that the head of the body was the source of everything else. All your power, your strength, your will, everything resided in your noodle and flowed down to the rest of you from there. Okay? So it, it's really, you need to think of it, I think, more as like the headwaters of a river. Think of it that way. Like everything downstream from those headwaters, all the little streams and tributaries and lakes that are fed by this river, they all depend on the head. They all depend on the headwaters of that river. And if that dries up, everything else is lost. If you have a lake that's not being fed into by some other source, pretty soon you have a puddle. And pretty soon after that, you've got nothing. You've got dust that's just being blown around. And that's what happens to us, too. If we're not connected to the source, if we're not connected to the head, then we just turn to dust. We dry up and we get blown around by anything. So stay fed, stay nourished, stay sustained by those headwaters from the head. Verse 20 goes on to say, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as the living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. 
And so we finish up this chapter with this rhetorical question from Paul. Paul says, okay, guys, so if you died with Christ, you gave up the idea that this world is your home. You, you, you sold yourself over to Christ. You, you, you abandoned the thought that this world has any power over you. Why are you getting pushed around? Why are you letting yourselves be judged and, and manipulated by a worldly system, by people who want you... To now that you're free, they want you to put your chains back on. Why are you doing that? We get comfortable in our, in our chains sometimes, guys. Uh, we, and you don't even notice it happening, but it does happen. We get comfortable in, 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 in bondage to these things. Experts have a name for when a prisoner can't adjust to life outside of prison and and just tries to get back in. We've all seen that happen. Well, I don't know if you've all seen it happen, but you've heard of it. It's out there. It happens. And it's called being institutionalized. It's called being institutionalized. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing that happens to, to Christians sometimes. When we, we're freed from our sin, we're freed from, from legalism, we're freed from the law, the requirements against us have been removed, suddenly I have all of this freedom, I've broken free from my chains, I walk down out of the prison yard and into the clear blue sky, and oh my word, this world's so big and scary, and there's so much out here for me to be tempted by and, and, and taken down by. The wolves are running around everywhere. It's scary. And so I, I go back to what I know. I go back to how, how do I know that I'm saved? I mean, what do you mean? I got to count on God's grace now? I got to count on, on God's faith? I got to count on the workings of God? That's terrifying. Suddenly, I'm not in control of my own eternity. God is. Suddenly, I'm not even in control of my own life. God is. I got to trust this guy? It's scary. It is. And so you go back to what you know. Back when things were safe. Back when you could do something to ensure your salvation. Or you knew you were saved because you had done A, B, and C. And guys, you do that and you're right back where you started. You're a slave. You're right back in bondage. Only now you're in bondage to a religious system. I, I took communion this week, so I'm okay. I gave my tithe this week, so I'm okay. Read my Bible, two, two chapters. I think I'm all right. Memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. I'm good. See, all of those things that I just said, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with doing any of those things. But what's your heart? See, these things look religious. You look great. Man, you look like a Christian. Walking around, your, your head's up, the sun is shining, there's a bluebird. The whole deal Life is a bowl of cherries. You know, you're fasting, you're praying, you're beating yourself up daily, denying yourself, picking up and lugging your cross, fulfilling all of the, the, the precepts of the Christian life, all of the requirements. You're meeting them all. Good job. But that doesn't make me a Christian. That doesn't make me anything but selfish and proud and arrogant sometimes and judgmental. Even if it's just me I'm judging. I'm wanting God and other people to, to notice just how spiritual I really am. The name of the game is dig me. If you want to be significant, 
Learn about your insignificance, guys. Learn that there is nothing that you've ever done or will ever do that will earn salvation. Learn that God has done all the work. Learn that God has given you all the faith. He has paid all the ransom. There's nothing left for you to do. And when you start to live your life with that on your heart, with being complete in Christ, then you begin to become the person that you were made to be. You begin to become a person who's totally free from religion and totally dependent on God. The world will begin to see what it was made to be. They'll begin to see God through you the way God wanted them to see him in you. That he wants to be seen as a God who has poured so much love into your heart, so much into you, that it spills out into the whole world and it can influence, trust me, it can influence entire generations through one person and it might be you. But, but you know what's great about it? You make it look effortless because you realize that God's the one doing all the work. See, this is the God I serve. This is the God we serve. And, and we serve him not because some religious system tells us that we, we must, you have to. We follow him because he loves us in such a way that to do anything else seems foolish. Anything but, anything but following Christ seems foolish because I understand how he loves me. Why would I not want to follow him? How could I not want to follow that? That's what people need to see. That's what people need to see in the world, in you guys, Christians. They need to see a father who wants to be a part of their life. Not a Christian who wants to change their life. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you for your word. It is so powerful. Help us, Lord, to to find your peace in our hearts. Help us to find a place where you dwell within us and help us to, to seek refuge there and only there. Lord God, I pray that you would give us the grace and the strength to stop striving And Lord, to just simply allow ourselves to be carried by your grace and by your mercy. Help us to uh, just allow you to fill us up to overflowing, Lord. Until, God, there's so much of you in us that we become invisible. Lord, that you are the only thing people see when they look at us. Thank you for this time together, God. I ask that as we leave this place... We would do so in your grace, in your mercy, and in your love. Carrying your message out to a world that needs to see you, that needs a father. Lord, we love you and we praise you for all that you are and all that you enable us to be. And we do it in Jesus' name today. Amen.